right, hello and welcome to Between the Liars with Ryan, and I'm joined by a very special guest today, Ken from Taboo Topic. How you doing today, Ken? I'm living the dream, man. This episode is just our thoughts on President Biden's State of the Union address that we gave after it concluded. Check out our other episode with the full address if you want our pre-show entertainment and our commentary during the address. But if you just wanted to get our thoughts on the speech itself, this is the episode for you. It's a little shorter and to the point. So without further ado, Ken, what were your general impressions on this particular address? I will agree with you as far as the presentation aspect was okay. It was like a typical politician, bureaucratic. Right. But as far as the things that are coming out of his mouth, I think I would agree with you. Fat checking. There's a lot of, I wouldn't even call it fat checking. I would say reality checks. Sure. Um, yeah, same thing. Same so, same thing in this. I mean, there, there's a certain degree where they're going to spin it in favor of their party, obviously. But there's a lot that is a misconception that probably needs to be touched on well that's so, what i'm saying i'm just gonna straight i think it's just straight up lying <laughs> <laughs> uh well where where do we want to start do we want to go through the speech do we want to what, what do you want to do for this so i'm just going to have like down my notes and everything like that pretty much have the whole page filled out yep so, <laughs> i'm gonna make it as brief as possible but as far as so the beginning he obviously talked about the situation with russia and ukraine and I think even with the American people in particular, there's still debate as far as who's the bad guy right now. And there's some skepticism as far as is Russia really at fault for everything. And also as far as calling out Russia's and Putin being a dictator, I find it interesting that he failed to mention that Zelensky has also acted like a dictator during his time and rank in Ukraine, such as imprisoning journalists, who anyone who opposes against him and political opponents as well, uh, which really... I can summarize it as just like war mongering propaganda from what I got. Um, and then as far as, oh my gosh, just, just a lot of hypocrisy. I heard from him. <laughs> I mean, well, let me, I, let me, let, let me touch on Ukraine before I move on from that. Then like, like my big takeaways from that was that like, you know, he's tried to claim a lot that we had done, but in reality, like I mentioned in the pre-show, a, a lot of it has not been the United States. A lot of it, has been Europe and the European Union right. um, or, or NATO in, instead, right? So, like, we did not hit hard and fast enough with our sanctions. Like, we, we tried to go for uh, what's what's really more of a graduated escalation is what it's usually called, right? Like, we, we hit him with some sanctions, and then we, we would escalate as he escalated. But Putin just went straight into Ukraine and took that over. So, like, the big issue with that is... We didn't hit him with what we needed to. We still have not touched, as the United States, to my knowledge, as of today, we didn't touch the, the squeeze on the banking system. He mentioned the ruble taking a hit. That was Europe. Um, we, we have not touched sanctions on the oil yet because that would jack up our prices. Because when President Biden, just, he, he cut any ability to to do any drilling or any fracking on federal U.S. soil, which means we have to send our oil overseas, right? Like we have to import it from overseas or from another country. 
And then he also cut out, on top of not letting there be any new contracts or renewal of any contracts, he cut off the Keystone Pipeline. And then he greenlit the Nord Stream 2, which is the one between Germany and uh, Russia or Germany and Ukraine, if I'm not mistaken. But it's a European uh, one, which has now interlaced us with Russia and Ukraine, which is why you're seeing a spike. Right. And which is why, you know, he's appealed to his green base instead of saying in a time of war, hey, you know, guess what? We're going to have to drill because we can't be dependent on someone who just invaded another country. Right. So, like, he's, I feel like he's really trying to claim that we have successfully sanctioned Putin when, when we haven't. Not only that, but I think you bring up an interesting point as far as because during his speech, he also was trying to brag and push the idea that we should have these America first policies in particular when so far his actions has completely contradict uh, right. what he said in the speech, such as the Keystone Pipeline being energy dependent, not independent. Right. Which, I mean, and I think it's really ignorant as well to <laughs> suggest <laughs> this is just me now, but I do think it was ignorant as well to not to take a consideration and granted what politician is ever going to admit that they played a role in contributing to this war, particularly the invasion right. of Russia. But it's very ignorant to su- suggest that Russia is completely at fault when there is stuff on the other side, the West in particular, that they could have done to prevent this situation, especially intervening with the Ukrainians and telling them, hey, if you get rid of your nuclear weapons and everything like that, we will back you up, which so far we've left Ukrainians to defend for themselves, which, again, it's unfortunately that whole situation is just like the regular Joe and Jane over there is just in the crossfires of bureaucrats being uh, incompetent, to put it nicely. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is pretty nice. Uh, well, I mean, then he also mentioned that we're like releasing barrels of oil in the United States, which I'm assuming is coming from the reserve. That's new. I didn't hear about that before today, but like what you have to understand and anybody who might not understand this, um, releasing those barrels of oil is still politically motivated because he already said this one time, we'll burn through what we have in our reserve so that we can switch over to green energy. So he's not actually reducing our dependence on Russia. And it's only a temporary bandaid that Honestly, like the goal is to get us through the midterms so that, you know, he doesn't want the gas prices well, not only to, that, to drive them to vote for the Republicans or other parties. Well, not only that, but it's also worth mentioning that the U.S. reserve barrels in Earth that you just mentioned, that's for emergency purposes only. And it can only last us up to six months at the very most. So it's not even, like you I said. I mean, if he releases it all, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like, I mean, he released what, like 70 million barrels of oil and it lasted a day because the United States consumes mass quantities of oil on a daily basis. And they can say these big numbers and they sound impressive. It's not actually doing anything. So like uh, massive freaking L when it comes to the Ukraine and the gas prices part of this speech, in my opinion. I would definitely agree with you on that. <laughs> and that's just funny. <laughs> and then, I mean, it, it was interesting because, like, the American Rescue Plan was, he was like, we left no one behind, which, first of all, isn't entirely true, right? Like, I mean, it, people were disproportionately affected from COVID to begin with. And there were people who certainly struggled who didn't qualify for assistance. And even people who did qualify for assistance, it's not like sending them these checks, which, by the way, started with the Trump administration, right? Like, the, the rescue plan uh, unless we're talking about like a part two did not originate with Biden. Uh, if I, if, if, if I'm remembering correctly, it started with Trump. 
And then it transitioned over into Biden because we've had three payments. And even those like really aren't enough to actually improve the quality of life of the people who needed it, right? Like what really improved the quality of life was when we had the previous economy that on a, a by demographic basis had the lowest unemployment and the wages were worth something. And now you don't have that. So an L there too. One thing worth mentioning as well, when he was talking about people who needs to go back to work um, and people aren't going back to work, something along those lines, uh, he failed to mention just, just a inconvenience, I should say, that the government has also incentivized people to stay at home with their social welfare programs. And that's not going to help someone to get off the couch and seek a job when their welfare checks is going to give them more money than, if, let's say, working at McDonald's, a minimum wage job, which I found it really interesting when it comes to these bureaucrats, whenever they start talking about the $15 minimum wage and everything that try to keep up with the cost of living, they never actually talk about bringing the cost of living down in particular. Because if you do the math with inflation, $15 an hour is actually way more than what we actually need. Not only that, but the In 50- your region, yes, that's true. Like in Florida, cost of living is lower than, say, California. In California, even like $20 an hour isn't going to get you what you need. Right. But not only that, but the $15 minimum wage and everything like that also is a federal minimum wage. It's not going to take, it's not going to affect the private sector in particular. It, yeah, it won't, it, it won't, states can go higher than the federal minimum wage, but no, like basically it's a baseline. And I think that that is important to note. Um, also, while I'm thinking about it, you can take our follow-up poll on Twitter right now. I think we've already got like 30 responses, which is great. So yeah, tell us how you think it actually went. Um, on the at between the liars on Twitter, we do have a poll up there. I also just pasted that second poll link in the chat. So do that while we continue to talk. We'd love to have your feedback. Um, and, and don't forget about my Instagram poll, ladies and gentlemen, on my Kenji underscore Express on Instagram. Let me know what you think of the speech and your approval rating for Joe Biden. Yep. And I'm really interested to see how that that went. I'm I'm interested to see if they rate it after, like, what is their approval rating as opposed to before, too. <laughs> I, so, I mean, this is kind of shifting us now into the conversation where he got into the concept of trickle-down economics and he said it didn't work, like just flat out demonstrated he and all the other Democrats who talk like this, they do not understand how this works because they confuse several things, including the concepts of what is a fair share of taxes, right? Because the United States actually has one of the most aggressive tax systems. It, it is not as aggressive as certain, like, let's say, like Denmark or like some of the other countries that have a larger social safety net. But like in modern era, the U.S. has one of the most progressive tax systems and it disproportionately taxes the wealthy, which like, you know, that that's fine. But I really want to ask, what does it mean fair share, right? Because if you really use like fair share as like their meaning, it, it, it just means we want you to fund whatever the hell we want you to, and you can't say anything about it. That's what they mean by fair share, right? Like we want X, Y, and Z social systems, and we don't have to report how we're going to spend the money, but you as a wealthy person need to fund it. And like, that's terrible mismanagement of money. It's terrible mismanagement of the American taxpayers' dollars. And it's interesting that you say that because when people talk about taxing the rich in particular, they're really thinking about the big names out there like Bill Gates, like the super rich people. The majority of the people that fall into that tax bracket is like your small business owners. And those the, are the one that you're talking about? Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. Those are the ones that are going to be most affected by these tax hikes. Yes. Because they're like more middle class. Like Bill Gates, if you're well, uh, you raise a very good point. If, if they are 
if they're wealthy, like billionaire status, they got there for a reason, right? So like when you pass uh, bills that are like when a company brings in X amount of money, um, actually, there's so many things wrong with this. I can't even like I'm like malfunctioning, <laughs> trying to pick and stay on track. So he said $400,000 or less is not going to be taxed. Interesting fact to fund these bloated packages, what they put in the bills, and you need to know this as a voter. They said that if a company makes $400,000, they are taxed at these brackets as well. So it's not just like, oh, the CEO happens to bring home $500,000 and now he's taxed. It's actually, if I as a business make $400,000, they had a bill to do that too. So know that even if that isn't out there, that is what they want because they proposed it and just didn't have the votes. And I'm pretty sure that that one died, but they proposed it as a way to fund their their social systems, like the tax credits and everything else that they talked about. It's really important because they are fudging the numbers and also just flat out fact check incorrect that the legislation they were trying to pass would not affect you if you made less than 400000 Because, Ken, you're exactly right, and I'll give this back to you in just a second to, to go back to that. You're exactly right that it's the middle classes, whether it be the, the middle to lower class individuals or the businesses that are the small businesses in the middle to lower class bracket of like as far as like what they bring in as a compared to like Amazon, because they're the right. ones who get pinched. Absolutely, you're correct there. Yeah, I mean... Are you dysfunctional as like Joe Biden's like state of mind affecting your mind right now? But- <laughs> well, no, I'm just, he's, it's just, it's just blowing my mind that like they just throw out this stuff and it makes me so mad that like I, I could take three hours to unpack the BS and the, the, the massacre of actual numbers that he used to get these results. Just like when they, they said that the Build Back Better package was only going to cost, uh, five trillion or three trillion. Um, it was, it was completely incorrect because they set up this, this finagling of the data where they were like, okay, what if we only fund this for one year? Then of course it's going to cost 2 trillion is what they say. And then of course they're going to renew it. So like it's, it's going to cost us that every single year and people don't understand that. So when he stands here and says, we should have been able to pass this. It only would have cost you 2 trillion, $3 trillion. And it would have had all these benefits. That's how he gets those numbers. And as a taxpayer, you need to understand that because if you understand that and you want to vote for it, great. But like they're appealing to the ignorant vote that is not aware that that's how they got those numbers. I mean, not only that, but there's, it's not a coincidence that people consider inflation the people's tax for a reason, right? Which it's hurting the American tax tolerance. Which I find it really interesting how he's yeah. talking about. We're, we're going to bring costs down, and you brought up a good point with the whole insulin situation, right? Yep. Where Joe Biden actually, by his own merit, by his own signature, decided to revoke an executive order made signed by Trump that limited the drug companies from. Uh, overpricing insulin and then when that happened the prices of insulin just skyrocketed as a result yep. because now there's no there's not that balance check and balance anymore yep about, that's exactly right and like you said as far as uh <laughs> uh let it's funny how that side in particular democrats on that level anyway they preach about you know big pharma and big corporations but yet when it comes but tonight in particular he was advocating for big pharma to negotiate with each other amongst themselves in their echo chambers with their prices, which are, which we call the, just by the simple fact that they have the ability to negotiate amongst themselves without that competition 
and government intervention, I should say, which I don't want to sound like a total socialist or anything like that. But <laughs> like the, the big issue there that you're getting at, and that's exactly correct, is that they use this as a political tool. So like you mentioned, and I mentioned earlier when he said this, he was the one who revoked President Trump's executive order that limited their ability to just jack up prices on insulin. And then what he did was he and the other Democrats shoved that into the Build Back Better agenda and said, oh, if you all pass this, then that means that we'll be able to cap insulin prices so that when Republicans voted against it because of all the other bloat and garbage and disgustingness that was in that bill as a mass conglomerate package, then the news headlines the next day said Republicans pounds and take advantage of, you know, they shoot down the, the insulin limitation. So go Democrats. No, 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 no. It was a Democratic president and their party who shot this down to begin with so they could have strings attached and get through what they wanted to. Absolute political ploy. Complete political garbage. I think that's called goody politics where you <laughs> goody goody politics. Yeah. Where you tell, sell the American people or just your public, right? a certain idea and you tell them, Hey, we're going to give you this. Yep. And anyone who comes out and speaks out against it, then you can point to the other guys and say, see, they're the bad guys. They're trying to take this goodie away from you. You're so right. That's, that's why I call it goodie politics. Um, but that's enough. <laughs> wow. There's just so many <laughs> notes. I wrote out here. Uh, but, okay. So let's, the, the, the whole police thing, right? It yeah. 180 on that. After, Fund the police is now President Biden's slogan. Fund them. Yes. Not only that, especially, and I think this is kind of a response to what's it's happened. Whiplashed. <laughs> it's definitely a response to what's happened in these bigger cities like Minneapolis, for example, that passed measures to defund the police. Their crime rates skyrocketed and homicide rates went up and it's no longer safe to be in those neighborhoods in particular. So it's ironically enough, it's their liberal policies that actually created the destruction of their own town and city yep. in particular. Well, Minneapolis had to pass legislation that gave effectively all of the money back to the police that they had already stripped away from them within a couple of months because exactly like you said, the murder rates and the violent crime rates and other just general crimes skyrocketed because, of course, that's what's going to happen when you strip away the police ability to do something like that. Well, not only that, but I think something that again as someone who's kind of that was in the criminal justice world and was trained with cops at one point um something that doesn't get talked about a lot when it comes to fighting the police is the mental health aspect these policemen these cops they have to respond to some very dire and shitty situations frankly that gives them ptsd and unfortunately this is kind of a jab on both sides, actually, that when it comes to funding the police, there's never any conversation about giving them the mental health resources, which gets into the military aspect. When you start talking about the VA in particular, which um, it's interesting how he's suddenly pro-military and he wants the military to get the help they need. But, yep. he's, willing to ask, but he's willing to uh, have policies in there where, one, they – because we have a mental health crisis in the veteran community right now. It's like 22, right, right. 22 veterans commit suicide a day. It's terrible. But um, they're allowing the whole, and again, it kind of gets into the whole transgender community as well, which this goes into the whole gender dysphoria where it is a mental health issue. But he's going to let those, he's going to let them serve and go ahead, let them have, go through with their surgeries and everything like that, which is actually exploiting their mental health crisis that's going on with them right now. 
And so it's very interesting how he's talking about suddenly he cares about the health of the veteran community, but again, actions say speak louder than words. It's just mind boggling. <laughs> I can't. It's uh I don't know. I'm just baffled. <laughs> Yeah, there, there was there was a lot of whiplash happening tonight. Uh, I, well, not just not just from me with like seeing this this whole 180, but like the amount of times people stood up to applaud for some of these things. Like every Democrat in that room stood up and applauded when he said something like "fund the police," right? Like that that that's now their mantra because they realize, guess what? Like I predicted coming into this episode. What are we coming up on? Midterms. He actually didn't touch on COVID as much as I thought that he would. I think it's because he knew that politically for him, uh, he's probably going to alienate a lot of his Democratic base since like, it's literally been, if you wear a mask, if you had the vaccine, then you are the one who trusts the science and we can't provide you with any new data on why we can change this now. But you know, you, you see what I'm saying here? Like it, it just, it flipped their opinions on stuff. And I feel like there's a lot of people who now they're going to have a very difficult time as voters uh, right, like if I was someone who uh, put a lot of uh, people are putting a lot of their identity into this stuff, and like regardless of where you fall, and there are people who, who like there's a large chunk of their identity now, and it just flip like that, it can actually it has the potential to hurt the Democrats even more than they're already getting bruised in the polls. It's it's just, but clearly, 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 one hundred percent politically motivated that they're now saying fund the police. And I guarantee you when they're pressed on it, they're probably going to say something along the lines of, oh, well, we, we still want to delegate some of those things, but we also, you know, we don't like, they're going to try to go halfway, I think. Yeah. So I know. So and then some of the things that you talked about really, it revolves around so, more social issues. So going back to the transgenders, particularly when you started talking about that, he's really going after the red states, like Texas in particular, just passed a bill where they're, I think child services can actually go ahead and investigate situations where the parents are giving uh, hormone blockers to children to go ahead right. and transition in particular. And also going after states who are passing laws where they're protecting women's sports from ha- transgenders competing women's sports where biological men, let's keep that in mind. Um, so I think that was interesting how, again, the rhetoric makes it seem as though the Republicans are the bad guys and we're the, you know, anti-science, anti-human rights uh, side in particular. Yeah, Angela asked if the George Floyd bill was mentioned. No, uh, since we're kind of shifting away from the criminal policy, I wanted to touch on that. It wasn't. Um, that was surprisingly not one of the ones that was mentioned. I think it's because you can't really bring that up. And then still turn around and say, fund the police. Like his message was like, I really think he's trying to get, uh, the, the voters on track uh, <laughs> to vote for Democrats. But like uh, going back to what you were saying, Ken, about the uh, transgender bill, gross rep- misrepresentation of that bill, right? Because there's one in Florida and one in Texas and they're two separate ones. But the one that's been called the don't say gay bill that they passed in Florida, uh, what that said in the bill, if you've actually read it, is it does not allow for the discussion of sexual orientation or sexual preference, right? So we're not going to be talking, teachers are not going to be allowed to talk about, oh, I'm I'm bisexual or I'm homosexual. Um, and they're also not going to be asking kids, as a lot of these schools in like Democrat-run states have been doing, well, what do you identify as? And like asking them to bring up their their gender identity. They're not going to be allowed to ask them or bring that stuff up or talk about it in preschool through third grade. Let that sink in. Preschool through third grade, teachers can't bring it up. It says nothing about anything past that. It says nothing about teachers being able to like be those things, right? So like you can still have people 
who are um, either, I mean, you can transgender, like none, none of the school's policies are able to like say we can't hire those people either. Like all of, I've heard all of those things we said false. It yeah. strictly limits it to preschool through third grade. You can't talk to these kids about it. Yeah, I mean, let's also keep in mind the whole premise of the idea anyway is to keep your professional life and your private life separate. Let kids be kids. They don't need to know like who. You- well, even 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 no, I'm actually not even worried about the the personal professional separation. I'm I'm more worried about the fact that when you are preschool through third grade, that's not a time that you need to be learning about these things. Uh, right. a, like and 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 also, my my opinion on that connects to the idea that some of these Democrat run states have had schools. So think like California, New York, Oregon, Washington. They have had schools. Where if a child says that they are are anything other than like matching up with their current identity, so like if they were like, oh, like I might be, you know, maybe I, maybe I am transgender, they authorize hormone blocking and hormone changing drugs in the school, and they're not telling the parents about it. That's the other reason that Florida passed this bill is because they're not allowing teachers or the school to make that decision. Which, quite frankly, in my opinion needs to be stopped like it, they need to prevent this from happening because if my child can't even have an aspirin without my permission as a parent why are you allowed to give them life altering medication that they cannot reverse when you know they're they're preschool through third grade preschool through third grade uh, i mean like that that's that's the issue there yeah you're right um <laughs> that's also i mean another social issue we started talking about the reproductive rights and women's rights, in particular, again, going after Roe v. Wade, in particular, anyone who wants Roe v. Wade overturned, is somehow we're against women's rights. Which, again, you have to really believe, you have to go with the idea that abortion by itself is a reproductive issue and a and healthcare, frankly. With- well, the way that he presented it what was interesting to me is, is not even what you just mentioned. It's that he said that we need to pass this uh, both as a a uh, a healthcare preventative healthcare, but also as maternal care. And I was like, when you mention abortion, that that's not really enhancing their abilities as a mother. If you know, like if if they've terminated the life, like I was like, you can have one, you can have the other. Like you can't really try to to bridge both sides of the aisle there, Joe. True. No- and speaking of passage, he talked about the election and talked about his voting rights bill in particular yep. again. <laughs> Which John my, Lewis voting rights. Yes. And I am on the in the impression that voting rights was never at stake. It was the election integrity. The integrity of our election was at stake. And I think what this would do, if it were to pass would actually further erode the trust of our electoral process if it were to be passed, which I find it ironic. And frankly, I think the only reason why they want to pass this is because they know, I mean, Nancy Pelosi outright straight up said, in order for us to win future elections, we need to pass this voting rights bill. Because pretty much legalizes a lot of the issues that conservatives and the conservative base keep bringing up as far as, you know, no voter ID necessary to to go out and vote, uh, no no checks as far as uh, ballots and making sure you are who you say you are. Basically, no fil- no filtering system to make to make sure the legal people who are legally able to vote go ahead and vote. So, I thought that was interesting how he brought that up. And the only reason, like I said, they want to pass it so they can pretty much 
cheat legally. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you if you want a dissection of of the John Lewis Rights Voting Act, um, you've got episode thirty four on the Between the Liars podcast, uh, which uh, Ken, you came on for that specific episode, didn't you? Yes. Yeah, I that did. was the. Democrats proposed voting reform, which was uh, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, and uh, one. Let's see. An audio Freedom to Vote Act. That's right. Good old, good old days. So yeah, check out um, episode thirty-four, and then if you want more debate, uh, that's not just the echo chamber with you know <laughs> me and Ken here, since nobody else could make it. Uh, then you're gonna want to check out episode. 36 of the Between the Liars podcast. So episode 34 and 36, uh, we actually had uh, Joe Bob from the Daily Caller Live slash Turning Point USA and also Chris from the Alt Left podcast. Uh, number one, go check out both of their channels. Uh, obviously, Joe Bob's going to skew more towards the right slash libertarian side. Uh, and Chris from the Alt Left podcast is very much entrenched on the like, literally like he calls himself communistic uh, side of the uh, of the left, left, left. Somehow I found someone more left than Josh. It's astounding. <laughs> uh, well, but that was a great debate. And, and that yeah. unpacks all of those. Yeah, and you can also also have some information as far as wh- why I think the integrity of our election is at stake. You could go to my Substack newsletters. It's called January 6th, The Great Disconnect. And also, that's also a podcast that I posted, I want to say, sometime in January. I can't remember the actual number like you do. But... I definitely do. I, I had my phone below the screen. And I was like scrolling, <laughs> but nobody will ever know that. <laughs> Except I just said it, so now they do. But you, you wouldn't have known. Yes, but my episode and article is called "January 6th, the Great Disconnect," and I go over some allegations and results of election audits that pretty much justify why I think we need to have these election integrity bills passed in these red states, in particular, or just really any state. All states should do this. But I digress. Um, okay, so one thing also, going back to the Afghanistan situation, yeah, he conveniently left out that there's reports that actually confirmed that he highly underestimated, if not straight out lied, that he got the majority of Americans out of there. Right now, we are currently sitting at around 9,000 to 15,000 American civilians still in Afghanistan, basically abandoned by our own government, which... It's interesting how our we're more concerned about the situation in Ukraine right now. We really don't have not much U.S. Uh, territory. I don't want to say territory, but not much U.S. Uh, footprint right now over there compared to Afghanistan. We have literally almost we have nine thousand up to fifteen thousand. That's a lot of people that are still there. And Did also you say nine thousand in Ukraine or in Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Okay. Afghanistan right now. So there's an actual report that came out. I talked about this in my last ep- or a few episodes ago and I actually keep bringing this up now. Every episode is like a little reminder to people. There's still people there in Afghanistan, <laughs> but like 9,000, 15,000 American civilians are still there. That's, right. That is huge. And that is a huge problem. I'll add, I'll, I'll do one better and I'll add another one. Uh, something like they had a nine. I can't remember. If it's, uh, let, let me, let me Google this. Uh, keep going. I'll be back with this thought. <laughs> well, I do find, and also I want to s- listen. I really think uh, Taylor, Mer- Mary, Jerry. Oh my gosh! Do you know how to pronounce her name? The middle name Patrick, like Who? Taylor Green, Marjorie Taylor Green, Marjorie Taylor Green. Thank you. Uh, I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure she was in there because I'm pretty sure she's the one that made that 13 people comment during his speech. 
referring to the Marines who died in a suicide bombing attack as they were trying to get Americans and Afghan uh, refugees out of there. And uh, yeah, that's also another thing, which I'm pretty sure all the comments I heard during the speech that made people boo, I'm pretty sure it was because of her. I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty sure it's because of her. And, she, and that's because she's not a politician. She literally comes from a middle-class background and she was not a po- career politician before this. And I would recommend anyone to go watch the interview with Tim Poole, the guy with the beanie, black beanie. And you will really see just how down to earth she is. And she thinks like a voter and she sees the BS of the bureaucrats, but um, not sorry to get a little off track there, but it's fun. Like it's kind of going back really connecting with the Afghanistan, how suddenly he cares about the American veterans yeah, we got like 9,000 Americans still stranded right now because of his incompetence. And no one wants to call him out. The people that were clapping, kind of going back to just the audacity of the people, the Democrats just clapping along with him. Yep. No, no one baited an eye by the fact that he lied about getting the majority of Americans out of there when yep. we out. Not even close to the majority of Americans are out there. That's a huge number. Angela's asking, yeah, yes, Ken is a veteran. Yep, absolutely. So this is a special hitting close to home topic for him. Uh, I found the number that I was looking for. Uh, in Afghanistan, there are now some 24 million people experiencing acute food insecurity, right? So they're facing famine um, and all of that because the Taliban has overrun that country. So like in addition to the U.S. citizens who are left there, because of us pulling out the way that we did and it collapsing to the Taliban, it is now... Those citizens there are experiencing 24 million people experiencing food insecurity. And on top of that, think about all of the women in Afghanistan who are now subjugated back to Sharia law under the Taliban, which they have reinstituted, which means that women and children are going to be sold into sex slavery in this nation. So this goes beyond just the the terrible damage that we did by leaving the people there who are American citizens don't forget that allowing it to collapse to the Taliban also has those issues to deal with. Uh, side note, didn't you hear the story how the Taliban is pleading Russia or not necessarily pleading Russia, but they told Russia to stop invading Ukraine. So- <laughs> I, did. I think, no, I don't think it was the Taliban if I'm not mistaken. I think it was, uh, wasn't it in Iran or was it the Taliban? No, it was the Taliban. It was, oh. the Taliban. <laughs> it was, oh. it was okay. 95% sure it was the Taliban. Yeah. But again, I find it ironic that he, that you they're calling out Russia and again. Yeah. yeah, that's that that is definitely something else. Uh you know you've messed up when the Taliban is basically saying, Well, well, hold on, we might be going a little too far here. Right. I mean, it's that's yeah. that and is not, crazy. And you know, going back to the Russia Ukraine, it's not even getting into the some of the rumors as far as like the bio labs that may or may not be there. And everything like that. So, yeah. If you want to hear more of that speculation and everything like that, guys, you can call my show Taboo Topic. All right. That's where I do most of my speculation on. But uh, between the liars, I go, I'll try to respect you and not get you deplatformed with my speculations and conspiracy theories. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, so, now that you've brought up the uh, Russia Ukraine again, I do want to touch on how that's tying into our interdependence 
on the oil industry. Because like, the amount of people who say that if you are blaming President Biden for the inflated gas prices and you don't understand economics is mind-boggling to me. Because, you know, sure, you can't attribute everything directly to the President of the United States. But when he, number one, like I mentioned, kills the Keystone Pipeline, number two, refuses to allow us to actually do anything on U.S. soil when it comes to fracking or even like cleaner forms of removing gas so that we can have those and remain independent, um, at, uh, at least internationally, on our oil usage. And then number three, green lights and supports the Nord Stream pipeline in, in Europe that is connected to Ukraine, then you've opened yourself up to international. And couple that again with our, our in, the, the attempt to go back to the Iranian deal. Right, which was a garbage policy, and we have a whole episode on that as well. But a garbage policy that basically sold out all any anything that we had as far as like the ability to negotiate or or hold uh, you uh, Iran accountable, gave it all away under President Obama. And surprise, surprise, Obama point to you know three because it's basically uh, you know Biden is just a less eloquent and far more Caucasian version of President Obama. Like it, a lot of his policies. He's come in and done worse. Well, some people call him Carter 2.0. <laughs> well, that too. I mean, you, you've really, you've really got him uh, coming in now, and just really trying to make a mark by restructuring. Like even Carter, FDR, take your pick. I mean, you're you're seeing the unrest of some of these past presidents. Like he's basically taken. Like if he did a buffet, he picked the worst of all of them, and then was like, "Ta-da!" In my, it's 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 ridiculous, which. That could probably bring us to now <laughs> the new democratic motto, secure the border. Uh, and, and this is just a whole bunch of platitudes that he said because, you know, Kamala Harris, to my knowledge, has still not even visited the southern border yet. Uh, but don't you worry, we sent her over to Ukraine to reassure our, our ally there. So, I mean, the most influx in immigrants passing the border, uh, coming over the border from the southern border of Mexico, then we've had uh, uh, close to what, 200,000 plus? that have crossed the border illegally. Yes. And, and I mean, there's just so much to unpack there. Like, yeah, no kidding. Of course we should have, we, we should have secured the border before, but it was racist. Uh, according to Joe Biden, it was racist to secure our border, which is why they let them run rampant. Uh, not to mention, you know, law abiding legal citizens had to be locked up in their homes. Couldn't go anywhere or do anything, but you know what? We were neither, COVID testing these, and, and I'm not even talking about in Omicron, I'm talking about like Delta, and then even before that in the original strain when it was far more deadly, releasing them into the interior and basically said, hey, make sure you come back for your court date. No kidding, of course they didn't come back. Show up. <laughs> no, and they don't have to, and then they don't track them. So they, number one, didn't have any idea of whether or not these people were, were COVID positive, and Mexico had the big influx in COVID positive cases and deaths at the time, and we're just letting them come across the border and go, who knows where? Biden certainly doesn't. His administration certainly doesn't because they didn't track him. I'm going to say something taboo that happened that I personally witnessed firsthand when Biden took office. But part of the so one of the things they did to shuttle the illegal aliens that are coming through the border and everything because because yeah because there are so many people coming through. There was actually a project on base to where they cut it off for like a good block or two and they build up tents and basically portables and facilities to allow these illegal aliens to stay at. And that actually happened, guys. Like, that was a, that's a quiet part that happened that no one in the media is going to talk about. And well, that you, happened 
the United and a lot of U.S. bases where they would ship these illegal aliens into these bases, and the bases would act, would have to like create would have to block off blocks and create these portables to allow room for really to house these illegal aliens because they're not going to yes. deport them back. Which part of the which part of Trump's genius behind with the Remain in Mexico policy was before they could come to American soil, the Mex Trump made Mex Mexico sorry made Mexico uh, hold those people basically made them wait in line like they're supposed to and make sure they went through the filtering and went through the process to make sure that if you want to come in this country legally, you can, but also we're just not going to let anyone come in and claim asylum just because your economic situation, in your country is atrocious right now. Right. With- and, and a lot of them were claiming asylum based off of economic problems, which is like, well, yeah, of course there's a lot of nations right now that could claim economics you know economic uh, economic asylum because of course your, your country's been run into the ground that doesn't mean that the united states has the ability to support all of them right like i i, I believe we you know we need to sympathize with their situation of course and it's tragic but at the same time when we're not actually tracking um who is coming in and who is not then you know you also run into the whole problem of there were people who were sex trafficking and drug trafficking across the southern border uh the you know when during the debates when trump was like ridiculed by some of the media who didn't understand what a coyote was he wasn't referring to the animal obviously and it certainly wasn't like wily coyote from Looney tunes right it was it, it, it was the Mexican cartel that was sex trafficking minors and saying, ah, yes, this is me and my family and my children were claiming asylum. When, when Trump was actually screening these people, I don't remember the exact number, but a very large portion of them were actually being trafficked and he stopped them. And then Biden gets into office and is like, well, we don't, we don't know where these sex trafficked minors went. What? That is a huge problem when you don't understand how this works. And then, of course, when Biden comes out with a soft policy on that, he does not have the ability. And this will get to good luck. You know, the Democratic platform is apparently now secure the border. Good luck. Number one, getting your 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 voter base on board with that, um, who were, you know, the ones who were crazy enough to be in favor of not securing the border in the first place. But number two, good luck telling Mexico, you know, let oh, we want to go back to Trump's original plan, like wait in Mexico, or guess what? We're going to be tougher. It's too late. You open the floodgates. Like, good luck. It's not going to happen. Like he can, he can only claim this, and that's what he wants. Uh, th- this is my big point here. That is what he wants. He wants to be able to now say, "Oh, I'm in favor of securing the border," so he can also, on the other hand, say, "But we can't." But he doesn't say that. He's like, "We're trying. We're d- give me another term, guys. Give me, give me another chance." That's a career politician, and I think. The American That's people. what he is. I mean, he's a career <laughs> politician. And like I was mentioning before, the State of the Union speech, the American people within the last year, they got to see just really the difference between a career politician in charge versus a non-career politician in charge. Yeah. And the efficiency of government when you leave both of those to themselves. Yep. And right now, we're seeing the classical bureaucrat. They talk big game. But when it comes time for action, they don't do anything. Right. If anything, if anything, they push for policies that go against the people's will. Yep. And part and the people want the border secure. They want the wall to be finished. The, I think the wall only had like a quarter mile left before it's complete. But Joe Biden, because it was a racist to build a wall, 
uh, decided to go ahead and stop the project of constructing the wall, which, I mean, one thing that does get talked about, too, because they bring up children, right? Kids in cages. That was also a big talking point during Trump's days in particular, was one of the reasons why the children got separated from the adults is because a lot of the adults and children, like the children were not actually in relation to the adult. Like there was adults that were using children as pawns just to get them across the border. Even if they weren't sex trafficking them, yes, that was exactly what happened. Yes, yeah, so that's something the Democrats won't talk about. But again, it's one of those, they talk big game, and it's all about the election. It's all about make, retaining that power. Yep. So, I mean, tonight, I call it, I have it titled here, the circus flip. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, yeah, I mean, because it's a circus. I mean, we're, it's a clown show in there right now and a lot of the stuff he said is a complete 180 from what we've heard the last yeah. really since trump ran for office to be honest ever since ran uh ever since trump announces run for office it's been the exact opposite it's been no that's racist you can't say that no it's racist to build a wall no it's racist to say you want to fund the police or back the police etc right. so what is the <laughs> counter argument and why is it so basically, Angela's asking if we can bring up kind because of, I mean, because Josh isn't here. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to go into my inner Josh. I'm going to channel it. I'm going to put words in his mouth. So like to the border crisis is specifically what this is talking about. So I, I think that the main argument, and this is what the Democrats ran on, was that, you know, we need to be more inclusive. And they, and they, they bring up the idea that, you know, we need to make sure that we're not, you know, being racist and keeping people out. Like, I really think that the main argument was that it, it is nationalist or fascist to have strong borders and keep people out because we are a nation built on immigrants, which, you know, sure, all of those things are true, but two things can be true at once. Um, and, and I'll just answer kind of what I assume is is the main argument there. Uh th- That can be true at once. Like, when, when, we, when we have standards, you, you have to pick between the two. Right. You can, you're, you're balancing on the one hand, what is very strong security so that, you know, it's basically impossible for people to get in. On the other hand, what is basically open borders? And obviously, the, the, the truth is going to be somewhere in the middle. To me, I'm going to lean more towards, towards the side that is in favor of the stronger borders. And I'll be honest with you, that's actually anybody who is an immigrant who's coming in, especially if they're applying for citizenship or just coming in here legally, they're in favor of that too. So I would say that as much as you know that, that point tries to claim racism um, or it, it, it tries to claim nationalism, uh, really, th- th- that's a pretty privileged perspective and it tends to come from the 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 white liberal portion speak trying to speak on behalf of the minorities um and 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 it actually undercuts the efficacy of what does it mean to be an american what does it mean to be here because when you just have open borders you actually undercut what it means to be allowed in here and here's the other big one if i want to go back to to like policy and economics we can't afford because if these people are here illegally, they don't pay taxes. They might pay sales taxes. They might pay uh, maybe some some like state taxes, but they certainly don't pay federal taxes. And I'm guessing they don't pay state. And something you have to bring up as well, that companies love illegal immigrants because they can get away with paying them less than American. Exactly. Because, yep. And they can pay them less, not only because they're it's a better condition than the country that they were fleeing if they're claiming economic, you know, uh, economic asylum at that point. It's also better um, bec- and cheaper because if they are not here documented, then I don't have to pay taxes, which means that if I tell them I'll pay them $10 an hour, I don't actually have to 
pay, um, you know, it's, it's not cutting it down to what 750 after I pay for all the taxes because I'm not reporting them. So that's, that's kind of, uh, so basically all of that goes to show. And, and here's my point off of that. We, as the taxpayers cannot afford these economic burden. And of course, you know, it sucks, um, at some point where you can say there's some person suffering out there. It's like, yeah. And that doesn't make me heartless to say that I cannot afford as a taxpayer uh, to do that, right? Like there, there comes a point where you have to look at an introspective level and say, where are we going to set set borders? Because when you don't, uh, in my opinion, the crisis that we are in with the supply chain supply chain shortage, where we are in the the place where we have you know China and Russia who are going back on you know what. They've said that they would do. You know, China's um, invaded Hong Kong. Uh, China is looking at invading Taiwan. Uh, mark my words: if we don't handle Russia, that is my guess that they'll be doing that next. Um, and you've got you know Russia now invading Ukraine, all because you show that you are soft, that you have a soft spot. And you know what? I would love to say that while that is a utopian view and that's great, there comes a point where there are consequences. In my opinion, we're seeing those consequences. So that that's my very long. <laughs> uh, answer to that I would try to say as well because one thing I want to point out real quick because my mom was an immigrant from Honduras yep. and so I have a little soft spot for this particular topic what I've noticed what the Democrats tend to do a lot of time is try to conflate all immigrants together they don't make a distinction between illegal yep. aliens versus legal aliens now with that said conservatives in particular sometimes conflate the illegal aliens in a sense of so I, I was listening to the Michaela Pearson podcast recently where she brought up like two sides of the debate, right? And one of the people brought up this interesting stat where 25% of the population right now is illegal aliens. But 12, at least around 12%, 13%, they already came here legally. So what does that say? Well, it says that at least 13 to 12% have already come through the legal, went through the legal process and they're trying to go through the legal process to extend their visas. However, our system is too slow to actually keep up with the demand in order to renew their visas. And then the, that's what and now the other 12%, those are the people who came here illegally, didn't go through the legal process. They cut the line, which from someone who has that immigrant background or anything like that, it's disrespectful to me, to everyone who's actually gone through the legal process. And they just want to give, basically give amnesty, uh, to the illegal aliens that don't even bother trying to go through the process. And some of the arguments will say, well, they're desperate. You know, they just want a better economic freedom and everything like that, which listen, I get it. I sympathize with those people and everything like that, but we can't accept everyone. And there's only so much room we have in our country. Yep. That, and also it's a dangerous world out there. And the immigration process, the filtering system shouldn't be easy to begin with. We should yep. want, we, we, I want to make sure that the people who are coming here legally actually want to be part of the American experience. And and here's, it's really being disingenuous to basically paint anyone who's in favor of secure borders as someone who is racist or who is not opposed to immigration, because it would be equally disingenuous if I said, great, you don't want secure borders, you're in favor of sex trafficking. Like, just because... You know, I can tie something to you does not mean that you are in favor of that. So anyone who says that if I'm in favor of secure borders, paint tries to paint me as a racist, then like you really need to be careful uh, because it's also I, I'm I, I'm all about genuine discourse. And so I don't resort to those tactics. But, you know, you, there's a fine line between taking uh 
taking responsibility for what your policies have as consequences, right? Because if I'm in favor of secure borders and I keep people out, it doesn't mean that I'm in favor of racism. I can actually directly link, uh, you know, policies that are that are more open in borders in nature and are allowing people to come in uh, and exploit kids to get in, like you mentioned, Ken, or sex traffic or drug traffic, like I mentioned earlier, your policies have those consequences. So when we're passing policies or you're voting for a politician, what you really need to think about is what are you comfortable with, right? Like, I, And you need to think about what are the consequences. If you have open borders like they have had where they just they don't, they don't give a crap about them uh, and, and they don't monitor them, then you have the crisis that we are in right now. If you are in favor of the wall, then you have to deal with being old racist. Like I, 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 to me, those are not even comparable in options. Like, of course I am going to be in favor of securing my borders because on top of that, I can flip the race card around on you. You are not only speaking on behalf of all immigrants and then focusing on the ones that meet your narrative who happen to be of a darker skin tone, right? Because, Oh, Guess what? Uh, Ukrainians can actually claim asylum, and the Democrats are not saying that right now because guess what it would do? It would destroy the narrative, um, and it would they would not have they they would have more Caucasians coming into the country. Is really what that would do, right? Like who 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 have seen socialism firsthand in Russia because Ukraine branched off from communistic socialistic Russia, right? So they're they're very much trying to protect the narrative here, in my opinion. Yes, I want to also bring in real quick. I want people to really understand the whole point of asylum because this is something I had to learn and train on when I was in. The point of asylum is really you feel as though the government is going after you more or less, right? So if someone's coming across the border and they have their hands raised and saying asylum, 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 or there's a Russian spy coming to get me, it's supposed to protect you because it's supposed to protect you from political violence, basically. That's the whole point of asylum. So... And that's part of the flaw right now in our system is that it is so broad, doesn't really specify uh, what can, what constitutes as political asylum. And that's how you can, that's how the Democrat, Democrats, that can talk English. <laughs> that's how the Democrats can get away with uh, really using that term so broadly to where anyone could just claim asylum, even for economic purposes, which again, like we mentioned, anyone could claim economic purposes throughout the world, but there's only so much room we have and, in the end, are probably detrimental to our economy because a lot of them do end up on social welfare, and that's going to affect the taxpayer dollars as well. Which that would put us well again. It's gonna, you, you have to draw a distinction between the types, right? Because if I'm not a legal immigrant, then I technically don't qualify for um, at least not federal um, assistance like that. So, I mean, you do want to be consistent with that um, and, and distinguish, but, but at the same time, you know, if th there are people who would qualify. So again, it's a very nuanced conversation and we have to be careful because, you know, it's these politicians that, uh, I think Angela mentioned it earlier, nuance is important and it's not a lot of times mentioned. Uh, it's not mentioned by the media. It's not mentioned by like we saw it tonight. Like it's just a huge, huge issue where they just paint with broad strokes and you can't do that. But yeah, so yeah, apparently now the new the new democratic mantra is secure the border, um, at least going up to the midterms. <laughs> secure the border, uh, pro police. All of a sudden, that's another mantra. They're pro military. Yep. <laughs> COVID is now over. Um, yeah, that's it's basically they've they've said uh, what we have known from the data 
before this, when you defund the police, you see a spike in crime uh, because you saw a direct correlation between the cities that defunded the police and their murder rates. And then when they reimbursed the, the police department again, then it went back down. Like you, you see that these things, <laughs> it, it, it is the law abiding citizens and the voters that get hurt. And again, I guess my broader point here is going to be, you know, of course, we would love to help everyone that we possibly could. Of course, there are instances where injustice happens. Like, of course, we're trying to mitigate those. That is what we're trying to do. And you're not seeing that, in my opinion, from the Democratic platform. Um, I This this was an interesting one. The Paycheck Fairness Act. I, I actually hadn't heard about this one, so I kind of did a quick Google while he was droning on. Basically, okay. the, the general are, – are you familiar with it, Ken? Uh, I've heard rumors of it. Not too much. Go okay. Uh, the long and short of it is basically going to be that it, it's trying to st it's trying to prevent the wage gap, right? So you've got income inequality between men and women uh, based off of gender uh, that they're trying to reduce. And I've got a really let me see if I can if I can pull this up. So, so I am. Outcome. What's that? So it sounds like they're trying to push for this equality of outcome. Well, not even the equality of outcomes so much as what they're trying to do is they, they say that there is, and I'm going to put this up full screen so people uh, can see this. Okay. So I, I'm going to stand for the argument that the, the, the wage gap is a myth. And actually a recent publication by the New York Times where they actually controlled for predictor variables, uh, it, it actually demonstrated that this was in fact the case. And I actually uh, came prepared. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I've, I've talked about this before, but I, I don't, I, I didn't think I'd be talking about it today. So when you say that there is a disparity, you know, women make, what is it, 70, 78 cents on the dollar. Uh, they're not accounting for several things. They're not asking questions like, what are the jobs that these people that they surveyed hold? What is their skill level? Right? Are they a minimum wage worker, or do they have a PhD? Um, are they, you know, are, have they advanced in the field? They don't ask what degree do they hold, right? Because an aerospace engineering or underwater basket weaving, those are not the same thing, right? Like they're they're not the same majors. You're not going to make the same. You're you're less likely to be placed on one than the other in your field, and you need to ask what's the risk factor, uh, because. When you're working on an oil rig, you're making potentially close to $200,000 a year, um, or something like that. Uh, but if you're an administrative assistant, you don't have as much of a risk factor. The oil riggers, aside from the undesirable job that it is, it's also very dangerous and they get hazard pay. So you really need to ask, what does the job entail? You also need to ask, what is the level of responsibility? Are they a manager or do they work on the assembly line, right? Because when I'm a manager, I'm going to be making more than my employees underneath me. You also need to ask, when you survey these people and they report their income, what was the amount that they lost in maternity leave? Uh, so if you're going to be saying that women on average make less than men, you need to account for those things because you have um, all of these things would be called control variables, right? They're things that you need to account for in order to run the analysis that then comes out and says... The, there, there's, there's a discrepancy. And I've actually talked on this several times um, in, in various lecture situations. Uh, and what's really interesting is that uh, within the last year, year and a half, I think it was the, the New York Times came out and published a study that basically said, if you control for everything I've mentioned here, women, if and you're again taking the average here, they make 98, 99 cents on the dollar for men. 
So the study that is held up by the Democratic Party to pass a law that is actually more restrictive on the businesses for no reason and won't fix their issues actually winds up being more, uh, it, more or less, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't do what it's supposed to there. Which, which is which is crazy uh, that, that they can stand there and they can say, ah, yes, this this is something that exists and we need to deal with it. And actually, in addition, <laughs> I want to quickly point out, though, too, that women tend to be more social psychologically. And so when they choose a job in particular, they're going to pick jobs that are more socially based. And those jobs tend to pay less than the yeah. it's predominantly male. You You are actually exactly correct here. And uh, we're talking, actually, I'm going to zoom in on this so you can see this. When you look here, this is the female-dominated STEM degrees by early career salaries. So uh, usually you're going to have a difference between STEM fields and non-STEM fields. So, like, I'm really sorry to myself and everyone else who is in the social sciences or the soft, you know, the humanities. Anything that is not hard science, uh, STEM is going to be science, technology, um, engineering, and math. If you're not in fields that are based in those things, you're just not going to make as much starting out the gate. And honestly, you will never make as much as someone who's doing, let's say, aerospace engineering. So here is, if we take the STEM degrees right here, top STEM degrees, the the survey that they had out there that actually controlled for the things that I talked about and controlled for their majors. If you are, the, these are the fields right here that are more likely to be dominated by women. And if you're only listening to the audio version, I'll read them. Uh, animal sciences, zoology, neurobiology, and neurosciences, interior architecture, biology, uh, let's see here, biotechnology, physiology, ecology, microbiology, biochemistry, cellular biology, food science technology, and then pharmacology and toxicology. Those are the STEM fields that tend to be dominated by women. And again, this is in general. It's not to say that women don't go into these fields or can't go into these fields. This is, again, the average. Look at the salary base here along the bottom. $60,000 is what you're on average going to make when you start out. And that is the best salary that these fields make out of everything I mentioned. On the low end here, you're looking at around $32,000, $33,000. So even going into a STEM field, which on average makes more than the other fields, like uh, let's say something along the lines of like <laughs> teaching or college professor or um, I don't know, political science, anything like that. On average, you're going to make less than this anyway. But the the when women go into STEM, they tend to go into these fields. And it's for what you mentioned, Ken. It's actually because um, a lot of times these are a little bit more social in in nature. Now look at the male, the, the the STEM fields that are dominated by men, right here. Forestry, computer systems, networking, computer information systems, physics, computer science, mechanical engineering, aerospace and aeronautical engineering, computer engineering, electrical engineering, nuclear engineering, uh Metal, I don't know, something with metal, metals for engineering. <laughs> all the engineers, basically. <laughs> yeah, and here we just have all the, the engineering, mining engineering, petroleum engineering. Look at the starting salaries. Out of So all of these are the ones that are dominated by males. Of course, there's females here in this field, but they're, they, they tend to not have as many women in them. And it's really important to note <laughs> that... These these off the bat make more. Uh, so the lowest one here, you're looking at a starting salary of around forty thousand, and when you get up into like petroleum and engineering, you're making upwards of ninety thousand a year. So it, the distinction that needs to be drawn here is that 
STEM fields that tend to make more, the ones that are dominated by men also tend to be higher paying. So like, of course, when they, they average this out and then they say, ah, women make less than men, it's because of this. And they don't account for this in that study. So anyway, the bigger point that I'm getting at here rather than, than droning on, sorry, <laughs> is we need to understand that according to Biden, we need to pass this legislation because there's inequality. When in reality, there, there, there is not equality when you account for personal choice. And, and here's a couple of things that I want to say that's important to note. Number one, women do tend to be uh, less likely to go into these fields as, as a particular factor because it is a male-dominated field. And that's something that, you know, needs to be addressed. It needs to be acknowledged. And, and I'll acknowledge that. Uh, you know, it, it can often be seen as like the, the old boys club. Um, and and that, that's an obstacle that they need to overcome. But it's not the way that the, that the Biden administration is, is, is pointing this out. Not the way to go about it. Well, say that again. I was saying government intervention is not the way to go about it. Right. And government inter intervention is not going to fix this because here's the thing. If women are deterred from, from these fields because they see it as a boys club, what is the government going to do to fix that? Because what I've shown you through these, this, this, these charts and the data that they ran is that there's really not, first and foremost, all that much of a discrepancy between men and women based off of the field. Like it, it's really sad because like I had an intelligent woman in one of my classes basically come to me in, in despair saying that she is guaranteed, even though she's in the same field as me to be making 78 cents on the dollar. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, no, like that, that, that doesn't automatically mean. And, and that's, that is the mentality that these, these women are being taught by the Biden administration is, and, and it actually turns into a learned victimhood because they believe that there's nothing they can do about it. It's counterintuitive to the whole female empowerment, if you think about it, too. It, it's not even, it, not, not only that, you're absolutely right, not only that, it actually teaches them to remain helpless so that then they vote for this bullshit. Like, that, that is what this does. It, 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 it raises votes. And I, I broke my rule. I usually try not to swear. But it is. It's bullshit. <laughs> um, here's, here's another thing that, that, um, that you need to understand. You were kind of touching on the differences between men and women just personality-wise. Yep. Uh, number one. It's important well. to remember, you're, you're right. Uh, but again, that's a generalization. Just like it's a generalization that women tend to go into one field and men tend to go in the other. It's not always going to be the case, but generally that, that's where they tend to drift and that's why we have these numbers. In the right. same way, women tend to be more agreeable than men. Um, not all women are agreeable and not all men are not agreeable, but that is a generalization when you look at the population as a whole. That tends to be true. Women are also less likely to negotiate their salary, their starting salary. And part of that stems from their tendency to be agreeable. Yep. But like as a male, I also tend to be more agreeable. So like, of course that trait tends to undercut me when I'm trying to negotiate a salary and you need to be aware of that. It's not because of my gender and it wouldn't be because of her gender. It has to do with your personal traits on a personal level. But like, we need to understand that that contributes to the, the, the quote unquote pay gap as well. And here's the other issue. We just mentioned that, Government intervention is not going to fix this unless you steamroll these fields and guarantee that like, you know, you can only have a certain quota before you can't let any more men into the field. You know, there are plenty of women who don't want to go into these fields, right? There are plenty of women who have made the choice to go into the field that they want to. And just like me, 
right? Like I chose to go into the public education and I, I, I teach at the collegiate level. That was a personal choice. And I, I took that knowing I would have a pay cut. I would make almost two to three times that if I went into like private consulting or I went into something like data analysis. I just don't want to do that. And you're faulting these women for making that choice and then spinning it off to get votes to say that these women are, are helpless and, and they're not. Like there are plenty of women who have gone into the engineering field who are making five times what I'm making. Uh, and it has nothing to do with our gender. It has to, everything to do with the field. So we need to remember that as well. And Biden is capitalizing on this by saying, well, now we need government intervention. Here's the other thing government intervention won't fix. Government intervention will not help women negotiate their salary better. So when you say on average, women make $5,000 less than a man in the same field, that's going to close the remaining one to 2% that I talked about, right? So if I go in and I am less agreeable and I negotiate my salary and on average, I'm making more than my female counterparts, because that is true. So anyone who's going to come at me and say, ah, there are women who are in the exact same position as making less, it's because of that. It's because they didn't negotiate their salary more often than not. And it's because they let it go. So how then, let me, let me flip this around. How is the government intervening going to help women negotiate their salaries? It's not. So here's my proposed solution. Instead of teaching victimhood to gain, to garner votes, why don't we teach our female counterparts who have trouble negotiating salaries how to do that? Or our male counterparts, right? If I have trouble negotiating, regardless of my gender, and that's going to close that remaining one to 2%, fix that problem. But they don't want to talk about that because that, and, and, and everyone here, you're welcome for this whole major tangent. Um, but all of this major L for your, your stance on, on the Paycheck Fairness Act, uh, like you mentioned, Ken, it's, it's advocating for government intervention. What good is that going to do? The main, my, if I just summarize this, my main point here is that the, the small, minute difference is accounted for in two ways. Number one, personal differences and personal choice in the fields that they go into. Let them be. Let them be happy. Stop making them feel like they are victims for that personal choice. Uh, the second big thing here is learn to negotiate. That, that closes the remaining thing. And then there are individual acts of sexism, racism, racism, et cetera. Of course, I acknowledge that. And then we can deal with that. And boom, I've just fixed all of those issues. We don't need a government intervention that requires taxpayer dollars. Right. I mean, Jordan Peterson actually brought, brings this up a lot. And this would kind of go into the conversation of like investing into mental health resources and really teaching people to be more assertive and be less agreeable when they are actually trying to go for these positions and demand so they can demand a higher side and be able to negotiate. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, I don't know. It, it really, if, if I had to summarize kind of what all of this came down to, it's, it's really just a play for votes in the midterm, everything from deciding that, you know, <laughs> the social science data saying that the Democrats are losing at the polls right now. Um, and not the actual data saying that Omicron is, is, you know, actually, <laughs> <laughs> is, is actually the issue here. Or like they've changed all of their stances now because they're losing at the polls. Boom. It is 100% politically driven. I caught, like I said, I titled it on my notes, the circus flip. <laughs> Just about the clouds. It is. Yeah. Up in their position. That's all it is right now. Did you have any other like specific notes that you wanted to get to? Because if not, I, I want to make sure that we touch on kind of big picture overall thoughts on this stuff before we wrap down. Wind down, wrap up. I think I've hit all of the points that we could possibly hit. Otherwise, we'd probably be here until 3 a.m. So, <laughs> Yeah, your time before mine since we're on separate time zones. Uh, this, yeah. this is definitely the longest I have ever done a talk. And uh, thank you for all of you who have stuck with us.
<laughs> Although I feel like the later we get into the night, the more people are likely to show up because they've moved past their real jobs. I was going to say, like, how many people are on right now? Uh, I actually don't know. We'll go with hundreds. Too many to count. How about that? <laughs> I want to know. Much more call it. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, well, like, what, what are, what are your, your, we'll, we'll, we'll give our overall thoughts and then we'll go into hot takes where we'll summarize our big takeaways. But like, what, what did you think about? Like, the, maybe we could talk about the current state of the country or just Biden slash the Democratic Party handling these situations before they reported on them. So I'm just going to go ahead and do like a report card, right? So as far as the posture. Love it. The posture for Joe Biden in his speech, we'll give him a B, all right? It was like typical bureaucrat. But as far as everything else, as far as uh, character, we'll give him a D, maybe an F, I don't know. Uh, his hypocrisy level, we'll give him an A on that. He's definitely a hypocrite today, tonight. Uh, as far as the job performance overall, let's go, Brandon. That kind of speaks for itself. What else? Uh, as far as the State of the Union, believe it or not, I'm going to give it a C. It's going to be a better grade, and I think it's not so much because uh, people have united with each other for policy. Well, take it back. We have united against really the radical left, it seems like, in Joe, against Joe Biden. And again, I think the Democrats highly overestimated the popularity of their ideas. And obviously it showed tonight where they did a complete 180 on all of these policies. Oh, man. All right. Well, I guess, you know, I'll agree with you on the B for the, the posture and the delivery. Like, I was fine. I think he stumbled a few times, which I'm probably going to, you know, jerk that down to a, a B minus then. It kind of drags it down a little bit. Uh the general state of the union, honestly, I'd put us at a D. I, I, I think that when you add up inflation, uh, terrible international presence, the the leadership from behind that Joe Biden is is doing, he's basically looking at what is Europe doing that he can then follow and support. He's he's not actually putting any policies in place where he risks anything. So he's very much following not only behind the people of his country, he's following, in my opinion, behind the other leaders. He's not being a leader. He He's just kind of steering our ship a little bit when it's, it, it's drifting a little too off course to where at the last second, you know, he's kind of between where is inaction making me look worse than a decision. And then he kind of puts himself out there and, and that's that's about it. Um, content, we, we spent the last hour, hour and a half fact-checking and, and talking about how it's complete BS. <laughs> so, yeah, that that was content F. Big freaking L. Uh, it's just, it was, it was not, not well done. Very disingenuous. Not that I expected anything less from politicians. And I will say, I'll acknowledge this. It's pretty easy sitting here when, uh, you know, it's... I don't know. As a commentator, I just have to rip on the party. I don't have to actually do anything myself. As much as I, you know, would like to say that a lot of my policies would be a heck of a lot better than theirs, I, I don't. I'm not okay. obligated to do that. They, they are in office. They're making the big bucks. That is on them. So th those are the ones that I'd hit on. Okay. So real quick, since you brought up as far as the state of the union, as in like how we're doing performance wise, I give it an F minus. If that's an <laughs> F minus. I didn't know you could negatively fail. I thought a fail was a fail. <laughs> they got F minus, like you said, big, huge L. Yeah, as far as able to the policies so far. So definitely, a, in that regard, definitely an F. So I was just talking about like the unity aspect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair.
that that okay so yeah all right that's fair I, I mean like you said i feel like we're more unified against the president and then the more crazy uh policies that are being put out by the democrats who are in office right now it's really not so much actually unified so i guess you know hey maybe uh maybe a b for him achieving unity since it's you know it's it's in spite honestly most of these quote-unquote successes uh and austin mentioned this to me earlier he feels like a lot and i agree uh, a lot of the successes that we've seen have been in spite of President Biden rather than because of President Biden. A lot of them have also been when he doesn't get through his agenda, that's where we see more success, right? Like Build Back Better would have decimated the economy, no doubt. Uh, it would have ramped up taxpayer dollars. Um, actually, I forgot to fact check this. The whole child tax credit thing is garbage because it actually increases your taxes so much that the middle and lower class won't be able to afford it. And it doesn't distinguish between like a needs based clause. So if I'm making $180,000 a year and I don't need assistance, it was still going to be giving those people. So the wealthy, the ultra wealthy, the tax credits. So taxing everyone especially the middle and lower class, and then distributing it equally. So everything that they're saying, their policies are counterintuitive to their their outcome goals. And also really quickly, uh, something that people may or may not know when it comes to housing projects, they tend to create more problems, especially lead to more higher crimes, just an FYI out there. It does. Anything government funded and government regulated is a big freaking L. It is, it is always made worse. Um, Honestly, you, you cannot, I, I would challenge anyone point to a situation in which the government is running things and it's better than if it was privately run or if it was left alone. Like I, I would honestly defy anyone to point to that. And you know, Hey, if, if you can, if you can point to that, contact me, I'd love to debate you. Um, or, or, you know, if, if you're not comfortable doing it like live, then like, you know, I, we could do it recorded. We could also, you know, you, you can write it and I'll just, you know, read it and I'll respond to it. Like I, I'll do whatever people want to. Um, but like, I, that is genuinely my opinion and you know, I'd, I'd love to have someone try to change it. I would. I mean, y'all could come on my show too. I mean, it's not like I don't, <laughs> even though Brian makes the joke, it's an echo chamber. It's not that I wouldn't mind having other voices on my show. It's just no, on the other side, what's come on my show. So, so far anyway, everyone that I've tried to reach out, I have not. Yeah. That's uh, why we have him on here and attempt to get him to be able to cross, but then those people drop off. <laughs> they like <laughs> Yeah, I scared them off, apparently. Apparently, well, by today, so I guess I'm a radical right, but by today, so. that was 10 years ago. I'd be like a, that moderate conservative, so. <laughs> All right. Well, we will be right back with our hot takes. You're listening to the Central Hub for Political Discourse, although the discourse is kind of missing tonight. All right, uh, hot takes. My, my final big takeaways, number one, uh, I would say that this... <sighs> This, this whole address was incredibly disingenuous. I mean, I, I don't really know what else I can say other than what I've already said. I've, I've rambled on for three hours now with Ken and President Biden between the three of us. So the big takeaways, number one, this whole State of the Union was damage control. Everything they did from you know working with the other Democrats and the CDC to without any data backing decide that COVID is officially good enough that we can move on from it. Uh, and I say with the CDC because the CDC has actually walked back their policies and recommendations several times after consulting with the Biden administration. So that that is where my accusation there comes from is because that has happened. So, you know, that that that's, that's pretty sketchy at best and uh, honestly pretty terrible at least. Uh, so 
That, that's my big one. Uh, it's damage control. Number two, my prediction for the midterms is there is going to be uh, hell to pay for everyone. Like, like the American people are not stupid enough to think that suddenly changing the Democrats' message to support the support the police, secure the borders, uh, and, and, and you know, lower gas prices. You know, just because they say these things doesn't mean they believe them, and it certainly does not mean that they're going to act on them. So you know what? If you don't like our current situation, vote for a change, right? Like uh, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting a different result. People are fleeing to red states because they like that the government leaves them the hell alone. Don't move there and vote for that. Uh, to, to vote for them to, you know, don't don't go to Florida and the other country, uh, other states that are red and try to change them blue um, when you fled there because you like the policies that are there. Like, why, why are all the Democrats going to Florida? Why is AOC in Florida? Why did the governors have their convention in Florida? Because they're left the hell alone. So guess what? Everybody, including the Democratic politicians, likes being left alone. If you like being left alone, vote to not have Democrats in office who are not going to do that. So really, this is all a ploy. Don't buy into it. That's my hot take. So quickly, I want to let everyone know that even though this is probably Ryan's longest episode, this is pretty normal for my show. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll make that quick distinction out there. So if you want a show that makes that distinction and make you know that dialogue where we can cover as many bases as we possibly can, that's what my show is for. So my hot takes... Like I said, on my notes, I titled it the circus flip. It's a bunch of clowns running our country right now. <laughs> it's ironic that they, when Joe Biden uh, came back into office after being vice president during the Obama years, the adults are back. It doesn't really seem like the adults are back. It seems like a bunch of little children trying to pretend, wanting to give out goodies to people, thinking that, hey, if we give you guys these goodies, you'll vote for us for the next midterms, right? And so that's where... Uh, you see a lot of these flips going on, and it's very disingenuous, very hypocritical. As far as the situation with U- Russia and Ukraine, uh, definitely some war-monitoring propaganda, if you ask me. They're trying to convince us we should send troops over there. But that's just my personal hot take, as the title itself see- speaks. Um, and at the end of the day, I think the donors from the Democrat side, especially Joe Biden, are telling them behind closed doors, hey, we're not doing so hot on these polls. It's time to go ahead and change the tone and change your rhetoric, which, again, action speaks louder than words at the end of the day, guys. And if their actions say otherwise and they, it contradicts to what they've been saying and what they're saying right now, take note. Don't ignore it because at the end of the day, it will affect you. I mean, we've seen the last two, the last year and a half, we've seen that very clear, stark contrast now between a president who puts America first and Americans first and kind of go with that more nationalistic perspective out there for policymaking versus a person who is part of the globalist agenda and puts Americans last. We're seeing that very stark contrast, whether it's we're seeing it through our gas prices or the supply chain crisis, or even our borders, um, we're, we're having that stark contrast. So definitely take note of that and really make that distinction as well, that this is what a career politician does. There's a lot of dysfunction, a lot of incompetence, and we saw what happens with someone who's not a politician running office, running taking, taking things in charge. The government tends to run more efficiently from what I think I would hope people recognize at this point. <laughs> 
compared to what we've seen the last year. So that would be my hot take, really. At the end of the day, it was just like a just a circus show right now in DC. <laughs> All right, so if you want more partisan content, I guess even kind of like this, <laughs> since Ken and I didn't really, I mean, we didn't really disagree a whole lot. It's not like, uh, you know, it, it's a good conversation when Josh and Marcelo are here, uh, or even Chris from the Alt-Left Podcast. Uh, check out Ken's show, Taboo Topic. Uh, he does, if I'm not mistaken, two shows weekly. You do Week in Review and Hot Seat. Is that is that correct? Yes. So for my Wednesday edition, it's the Hot Seat, where I pick uh, one subject, story, that's popular or unpopular, and I scrutinize it. It's in the name for itself. It's a put it on the hot seat. And that's really typically like my solo shows. I may have a guest. Brian, you've done one of them. I have. I've done two, yeah. Yeah. You've I'm done actually going to feature the last one I did with you here uh, this weekend. So you can look for that on our channel or his. Oh, cool. But <laughs> um, but yeah, that's my hot seat edition. And then Ryan also took part in my weekend review editions. That comes out on Fridays where we pick three to four current event stores. Two at the very least from the guests, but we do a, a synopsis, try to give our best uh, nonpartisan opinion <laughs> on the story. And then afterwards, we get really partisan, give our initial thoughts, and have a conversation afterwards. But like I said, it's not that I wouldn't mind having another guest from the other side of the aisle. It's just everyone that I've reached out to the other side, they have decided to not reach back out or they just denied it. So if you're listening to this right now and you would actually like to come on my show and you're on the other side, by all means, you're more than welcome to. Because the whole premise of it really is just protecting unpopular speech, whether you're on the left side or on the right side. Because really, the reason why I started the whole experience, like I said, was I think there's a disconnect between the people versus those in charge. So Wednesdays and, Wednesdays and Fridays and the Wednesday <laughs> It's also I also write an article in correlation with the episode, which that's the Substack Kenjin two nine six Substack.com. All right, well we are going to get out of here for tonight. Thank you for hanging with us. Uh, there will not be a live stream this Saturday. I've done three this week. That's enough. So go watch our old content. Uh, remember, you can find Between the Liars on Spotify and and also can on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Twitch, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on our social medias to stay updated for when we do spontaneous things like this. And hey, if you enjoy this show. Like this on YouTube. Give us a five-star review. Share us with your friends. Uh, we, we appreciate you getting the word out there. I'm sure you find yourself somewhere between the liars. Goodbye for now.